I invite you to uh, this morning to worship God, and as we hear these words from the Scripture, inviting us into this into God's presence, and these are uh, words from Revelation chapter 15. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The one who is called holy and good invites us to meet with him today. So let's uh, share a moment in prayer together, shall we? Here we are, Lord, we come from the busyness of our daily lives, from our worlds of work and play and from all the issues of life that surround us, and we're, we're here today to worship you. In this time together, we long to meet you and to feel your presence surrounding us and enveloping us and loving us, and we long to settle into just these moments together, laying aside our worries and our cares, aware of your presence that's before us and behind us and within us always. So come, Lord Jesus, and meet with us. Today we pray in his name. Amen. Today's lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 has the Apostle Paul talking to us about prayer. Now, prayer is one of the most foundation, foundational disciplines of the Christian faith, and yet one that's difficult sometimes to understand or to appropriate. For example, a young boy called the pastor of a local church to ask that pastor to come by the house to pray for his mother who had been very ill with the flu. And the pastor knew the family, but he also knew that they attended another church down the street. So the pastor asked, shouldn't you be asking Pastor Simon down the road to come and pray with your mom? The young boy replied, probably, but we didn't want to take the chance that he might catch whatever mom has. I'm not sure that's the kind of prayer that the Apostle Paul had in mind. Or this one, the co-worker one day asked his friend why he stopped and got donuts for the office when he's on a diet. And he said, well, I came around the corner where the donut shop was, and I told God if, if, I, if he wanted me to buy some donuts to have a parking spot readily available right out front. And on the eighth time around, there it was. Not sure that's what... Paul had in mind either. But I read this statement recently. Prayer is not everything. Prayer is not everything, but everything is by prayer. There are a lot of people who would agree with that statement. No matter what our background or what our circumstance in life, we instinctively know that prayer is central to the Christian life. We know we ought to pray, and most of us feel that we probably should pray more often than we do. But here's another reality. Our life can change very quickly, can't it? You know, the phone rings and the voice says, I've got bad news. Could be anything. Maybe a failed exam or a test that comes back positive. Maybe a granddaughter is sick, or your son goes to jail for drunk driving. Maybe it's a suicide. Maybe the company doesn't need you anymore, and so your job is eliminated. Or you're being sued, or a friendship ends suddenly. 
But in that moment, time seems to stop. And you know that your life is never going to be the same again. How will you find the strength to go on from that moment? You try to pray, but words won't come. And so the big question is, how do we pray? When our life blows up. I believe we can find some answers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. The Apostle Paul knew that these believers in Thessalonica were near their breaking point, and so he sends Timothy to check on them, and when Timothy comes back with a good report that the believers were standing firm under pressure, Paul's joy was overflowing. In verse 7, he says that he was encouraged. In verse 8, he says that the news was like a new lease on life. In verse 9, he says he couldn't stop thanking God for them. And that brings us to Paul's prayer, beginning in verse 10. And here we find three ways to pray for people whom we know who are also going through difficult times. It's worth considering because very rarely does anyone come up to us and say, hey, things are going great in my life, would you please pray for me? When do they ask for prayer? When times are tough. Every week, it seems, someone we know is going through some kind of difficulty, some challenge in their life, and some of them, at least, appreciate our prayers. So first of all, Paul says, we should be praying for a faith without gaps. Look at verse 10. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill in the gaps in your faith. Notice these four facts about the way Paul is praying. First, his prayer was constant. Paul says he prayed night and day. Let me ask you, when's the last time you lost sleep because you were praying for someone? I think back over the years, there have been times in my life when God has awakened me in the middle of the night to pray for someone. Has that ever happened for you? Secondly, Paul's prayer was earnest. Now, Paul uses a very unusual expression here that has the idea of going above and beyond the normal measures. We might translate it with the phrase, super abundantly. Prayer must be sincere to be effective. Weak, shallow, half-hearted prayers often produce weak, shallow, half-hearted results. God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. James 5, 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So what does a powerful, earnest prayer look like? In the original language of the New Testament, it means something like boiling It has nothing to do with whether you're sitting or standing or lying down to pray. And it doesn't matter whether your eyes are open or closed. A boiling prayer has nothing to do with how loud you pray or how many words you use. It's not about whether you fold your hands or wave them above your head or anything else that you may do in prayer. Let me put it this way to help us understand what a boiling prayer is. You're in the hospital, and you're sitting in the pre-surgery waiting room, and a loved one 
uh, is waiting for surgery, but it's life-saving surgery, and they come in and they say, it's time to go. In that moment, no one will have to tell you what to do. You will pray an earnest prayer in that waiting room at the hospital. You may not even speak any audible words, but your heart will pray like you've never prayed before. I remember hearing a man say that when his wife was in a terrible automobile accident, he was so overcome that all he could cry out was, oh God, please God, please. And looking back on that, he said he felt like that was the very first time in his life that he ever really prayed, ever really connected with God. See, when anything becomes life or death for us, we'll pray an earnest, powerful prayer, and it won't matter how long it is or how short it is. Paul cared so much for these young Thessalonian believers that he couldn't help but pray earnestly for them. And we should be doing the same for the people that we know. Thirdly, his prayer was practical. Paul said he was praying, asking God to let us see you again. Now let me ask you, do you ever pray about your everyday business? If you're a salesperson, do you ever pray for the appointments that you have scheduled that day? If you're a doctor, do you pray for the patients that are on your schedule? If you're a teacher, do you pray for your students? If you work in an office, do you pray for your fellow workers? Nothing is too small to bring to God's attention. If it matters to us, it matters to God. And then lastly, Paul's prayer was purposeful. Paul had a particular goal in mind. He wanted to supply what was lacking in their faith. He wanted to fill in the gaps of their faith. And so here's his prayer. Oh God, my brothers and sisters are in in a great spiritual battle. And I pray that they will be fully equipped for what they might face. Grant them strong faith with no gaps so that they can stand and fight victoriously no matter how hot the battle may be. So first, we should be praying for faith without gaps. But there's a second way to pray when life blows up, and it's to pray for love without limits. Verse 12, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. Love is the supreme grace. We can never have enough of it. And Paul is saying, I pray that God will make you an overflowing fountain of love. Many years ago, there was a song made popular by Diana Ross and Dionne Warwick, and I'm sure at least some of you have heard of it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. Okay, there's only three people in here that's not millennial. Okay, evidently. I think of the story that was in the news a couple of years ago when tragedy struck the city of Dallas. It was July 8th, 2016. Twelve police officers were shot in an ambush. Maybe you remember It made headlines all across America. The morning after the shooting, Dallas police officer Brian Woodard posted a video on Facebook that was visited over seven million times that urged people to pray for peace. 
And near the end of that video, he repeated a phrase that has gone round the world. He said, I refuse to see hate live while love dies. That strikes me as a truly Christian point of view. If we know the Lord, then love must be our rule of life. Even when people around us have given in to anger, given in to hatred, we discover a lot about ourselves when we're tired, don't we? When we're discouraged, when we're angry, when we're afraid. I don't mean to suggest that increasing and overflowing in love is, is easy at all. It's not, especially in trying times. But it is precisely at this point that we that what we believe about the gospel gets put to the test. If someone asks me to give the answer to all the problems that plague our world, I don't know the political answers, I don't know the legal answers, but I do know the gospel answer. We are all sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. And God doesn't play favorites, we're all in the same boat, and if God doesn't do something, we're all gonna go down in that boat. But God has done something, In the cross of Jesus Christ, the love of God has broken through to rescue us, to heal us, to forgive us, to make us a community of brothers and sisters who show the world that reconciliation and healing is possible. I know uh, we're, we're far from that reality in today's world. But if we believe what the Bible says, then we must believe that real change is possible not only on a personal basis, but also on a community basis and extending out into our nation and our world. See, when the church of Jesus Christ is united, God is glorified and the world's amazed. In a world filled with so much killing and so much pain, so many broken hearts, so many fractured lives, a truly unified church will be irresistibly attractive to hurting people but it's easier to talk about it than it is to put it into practice. We're all pretty good at liking people who are like us, but lots of people aren't like us, and they're not always easy to like. So how can we apply this truth? Well, I have two suggestions. One, pray for unity. Pray for the Holy Spirit to bring unity to the larger body of Christ. Pray for a deeper unity even within our own congregation. Ask God to reveal and remove any wrong attitudes in us that may hinder God's spirit working through us. Secondly, ask yourself a very hard question. Am I willing for God to change me? See, it's a lot easier to think that others need to change. (laughs) You know, my kids are driving me nuts. Change them, Lord. My husband ignores me. Change him, Lord. My wife is getting on my nerves. My boss is a jerk. Change them, Lord. But maybe our prayer ought to be the simple Chinese prayer, O oh Lord, change the world, and I, begin, and I pray begin with me. As the old spiritual says, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, who's standing in the need of prayer. Before we ask God to change anyone else, We need to look in the mirror. So let's pray for ourselves and pray for each other that our love might increase and even overflow. Not only to our friends, but to people we don't know, even to those who may not like us very much. But there's yet a third way to pray when life blows up, and that is to pray for strength without flaws. 
Look at verse 13. May he as a result make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all his holy people. The word strong that Paul uses here means to buttress something. You know, like the famous flying buttresses of cathedrals in the Middle Ages. And if we're going to stand strong in the times of trouble, our hearts must, be, must have this strong foundation, one that's free of cracks and flaws and weak areas, and nothing, nothing reveals the condition of our heart like difficulty or setbacks or opposition or hardship. Most of us can be strong when the sun is shining, when life is good, but when the thunderclouds of trouble rumble overhead, it's all the inner flaws that are likely to come to the surface. And whatever is in our heart is gonna come out eventually. If there's anger in our heart, it eventually comes to the surface. If there's greed or lust or anything else in our heart, that too will come out. But if there's love there or kindness or forgiveness or mercy, that too will be revealed. Nowhere will our heart be on clearer display than in the trials of life. See, God uses our trials to say to a watching world, hey world, here's what a real Christ follower looks like. They're battered, they're bruised by life, their face is streaked with tears, the days are hard, the nights are long, but you know what, here they are. This is what a Christian looks like. Are we always victorious? No. Are we always triumphant? No. Do we sometimes have doubts? Yes. But here we stand, a supernatural creation of the grace of God. Take a hard look, world. We're not perfect, but we are a child of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. Many of us are here today, wherever we are in life, at this point in our life, because someone has prayed for us. That may not be true in every case. Some of us come from families where prayer is the farthest thing from their mind or imagination. But a lot of us are at the point we are in life because someone, somewhere, prayed for us. Somebody prayed and we came to Christ. Somebody prayed and we found a job. Somebody prayed and we were healed. Somebody prayed and we were rescued in the middle of the night. Somebody prayed and our marriage was saved. Somebody prayed and we said no to that temptation. Somebody prayed and we didn't give up. Somebody prayed and we made the right decision. Somebody prayed and we experienced God's power. See, no one knows how much sin and sorrow we've been saved from because somebody was praying for us. And so what is the application of this message today? It's simply this. Pray, 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 and keep on praying. Do for others what others have done for you. When we can serve people in no other way, we can certainly pray for them. By prayer, we cast a pebble of faith into the lake of hope. And though the pebble sinks, the ripples go on and on. And we may never know the difference that our prayers make until we get to heaven. Let me close with a question. It's a question that Jesus asked in Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter. When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth 
who have faith. When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? As we move closer and closer to the end of the world as we know it, the Bible says that anxieties will rise, chaos will increase, nerves will fray, society itself will be shaken to the core, troubles will mount, and it will seem like the world is spinning out of control. What should we do to hold on to our faith? And the answer is to pray. Earnestly, repeatedly, unitedly, persistently pray. And if you believe that Jesus will come back to earth as he has promised, will he find faith in our church? Will he find faith in our family? Will he find faith in your heart? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, grant that we might not be discouraged even a little bit by the things that we see happening all around us. We want to pray and to pray more than we do. So we ask for praying grace so that when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on this earth made manifest through our prayers. Amen.